0: my guest on talk design today is zia hansen from Zilak studio which is southern california based however projects are global zia is a fascinating human being so her life started in denmark and we will dig into a bit of that but she has lived um in africa the in asia and in america She's a global citizen and she is well known for her hotels that she designs. But I'm not, whilst I'm really interested in the hotel she designs, I'm really interested in her story because it is absolutely fascinating the story and the journey that she tries to create or doesn't try to create. She does create when she creates hotels. So, Zia, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Adrian.
0: It's- Look, we've just had a bit of a chat and understanding, uh, like getting into knowing you, and I, I'm fascinated. I want to take us right back to day dot. You know, sometime there was this little girl that discovered that architecture, who, who is uber creative. You know, this person's uber creative. They've got the world's their oyster when it comes to creativity, discovered architecture, and then started down a journey of it. Tell me about the childhood part. And what kind of sparked the architectural spark?
1: Well, I grew up in a 200-year-old house in Denmark. So it was timber frame, thatched roofs mm-hmm. right at the edge of the forest next to the beach.
0: Sounds and like Hansel and Gretel already.
1: Yeah, it was kind <laughs> of was. We had a fireplace in every room. So it was uh, oh, very wow.
0: different. Yeah.
1: But every weekend there were artists painting our house outside. so. I knew I lived in a very special place because I was always watching these artists. Ah, they're drawing my house. This is so cool. And after that, whenever we were traveling somewhere, I would always say, Oh, these houses are so ugly. <laughs> I would say, this is beautiful, but this is so bad. So I was just as a very small girl, I was just, you know, commenting on architecture all the time and criticizing it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: So, oh, well, that's
0: and- it. It's fascinating because even as a really small girl, because of that experience of living in such an old home, yeah. um, and that was of significant visual value to people, um, it it made you realize, like you saw that, like this yeah. was what they were there for.
1: You know, you realize not everything is like that very quickly. But, yeah. Uh, it, it was really special. So I just loved it. And I love traveling, but then I just loved drawing and sketching and was always visually inclined. But then I was thinking, well, maybe I love fashion too. So I was thinking maybe uh-huh. I should be a fashion designer. But then at that time in Denmark when I talked with career counselors, oh you know, fashion you probably do store window design, window displays. Oh design. right, yeah, right. No,
0: no, Merchandising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I want to draw <laughs> the then, thing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then I had a couple of professors at high school that were um, fascinated by architecture they lived in houses by Anna Jacobson some of the famous architects in Denmark and they would spend hours talking about architecture in French and history classes I loved it everybody else said like, oh no well, here he goes again but I was just <laughs> <fascinated>. so, <laughs> so I decided I was going to study architecture
0: wow what a fabulous journey and Thank to think right. that it kicked off with the fact that you lived in a house that was a couple of hundred years old to start with but it significantly made you make the delineation between good and bad or what what made something better or worse in that space and then also what a joy to have you know people that came into your life like you were saying and they lived in homes by very significant architects and again that whole thing of it their passion for it will have rubbed into your passion for it. I imagine you would have had a lot of fun as a fashion designer as well because you've got tons of style. You could have. <laughs> I look at the thing, you know, from having worked as a fashion designer for many years and people say to me, well, how do you go with, you know, architecture? And I go, well, people live in it. It's the same, really. Yeah, you know? true. It's I'm just
1: thinking, you know, people would just wear this fantastic fashion I've designed. I would wear it once and then it would <laughs> be hung up <laughs> Maybe in a museum, but still.
0: Like a <laughs> so couture. I piece. I wanted
1: to, to design something that, like the pyramids, that would go into history.
0: Right. So. It's, yeah, <laughs> right. It, it's uh, the fun thing with fashion is compared to architecture is, in architecture, your projects take so long to bring to life, and really, not in your case with hotels and things. Oh, yeah. That's actually probably the the thing. When it's residential architecture, you know, it's really for one or two. Well, not one or two, two maybe five people, you know, or it's maybe multi-residential, and so it's for more. But when you do hotels, it's a bit more like going to the fashion show,
1: yeah. and it,
0: is. it it shifts and it's moving, and there's like personalities and stuff, and that's the fun of designing not single pieces is of designing ranges of clothing because you you're storytelling and Mm -hmm. you're storytelling for an avatar who is of of a certain kind and then what's that story going to be and how are you going to present it and then next season you get to do it all again and next season you get to do it all again that's the fun part it moves fast and your mistakes get covered up by your wins pretty quickly but when you do that with architecture, your mistakes never get covered up. <laughs> they if they get built, they're built.
1: It's true,
0: yeah, you know, the monuments to, to what yeah. went well and what monuments that yeah, what yeah. to what didn't go well.
1: Yeah, it's very different, but there is definitely that fascination and similarity in a way.
0: Yeah, even down to materiality. You know, like when you look at different materials that you use in fashion, and then you look at different materials you use in construction and in finishes and architecture, these things have got huge parallels. They've oh, got, totally. you know, like for climate, for everything. It's um. So, yeah, I, I really love that and, kind of journey.
1: And they have such a psychological impact mm-hmm. on people too, the touch and feel, the mood. I mean, you can really almost create people's moods you control people's moods and i think that's why i went from exterior architecture to be fascinated by the interior of the architecture Uh walking into the room but everything is so can be so different and everything impacts you in person because you spend so much more time and every moving from space to space you want spaces that are have drama you want spaces that are cozy and dark and you want others that are brightly lit and it's just to me that
0: a range of emotions yes and you're engaging a range of emotions Mm.
1: and you create that experience for guests too so
0: i think that's the that's the beautiful thing and they you can influence some of their emotions but you can't, you don't know their backstory and their past as to how those emotions actually play out and which parts touch them most deeply. But when it's done well, something touches them deeply and that's when it becomes magical. And we've all got hotels we go to and go, oh yeah, you've got to go back to wherever. (laughs) Same with restaurants, same with bars. You know, they, they touch us for moments and then we go, oh yeah, this is, it has an emotional atta- attachment to us
1: maybe next time you go there it's something else that that mm-hmm.
0: it's attachment. another layer of personality because you're
1: then maybe in a different emotional state but it's it's all about creating memories and creating experiences that vary so you yes. want to give people options and really create a story ideally
0: I- I think of it like dating you get to discover more and more it's like going to a movie three times a good movie yeah. and the things that you get from the movie the third time or the fourth time even is so much more than what you got from it in the first time but different same yeah. but different you oh, know it's more yeah. depth you, un- you you unravel its character you get into its character and the same I with love- great architecture. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a bit of a story on your. So you decided to study architecture at this point and tell me where that's taken you as in firms you've worked with and people you've worked with. Just tell us, (laughs) take, take me on a journey.
1: It's taken me in so many different directions. And sometimes it was frightening in a way because all of a sudden I got hired by a company and they wanted me to design the biggest bridge in Denmark, a new suspension bridge that took 15 years to get built. But it was amazing. I didn't know anything about it, but got to work on the aesthetics and the planning and the beautiful movement through the landscape. So it's In a way a precursor I think for doing interior spaces and I was doing a lot of architectural competitions that brought me to at a very young age be very part of the community and the uh, public building um, Mm -hmm. designs and one day I decided I think I've just done this enough (laughs) What am I going to do? That I'm 28. What am I going to do the next 40 years? Because I felt I had already done as much as I could do in Denmark, I thought at that time. Right. So I went to Africa and designed a freedom college for the ANC for two years. Very different experience because uh, limited budgets, obviously, very Mm -hmm. limited construction possibilities. But it was such a fantastic social experience. It was important it and just created a different layer of appreciation of cultures and traveling
0: i think you know like having lived in africa as well and you know, we were talking earlier just about the 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 light the 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 earth the, the, sun. the sun the sounds the yeah that even the the danger you know because there are so many predators and For everything that it has got, it is certainly one of the most amazing continents I've ever lived in.
1: After two years, I came back to Denmark and I felt I was a different person because you just don't fit in anymore.
0: Did you come back in the safari suit, you know, with a a leopard skin draped over your shoulder?
1: (laughs) A lot of (laughs) leopards. Yeah and very strong perfumes like like
0: Like an adventurer people
1: were saying who is this person (laughs) but i worked with Henning Larsen and we designed the ministry of foreign affairs in Saudi Arabia which was fascinating and then i got the opportunity to design with another company, do a competition, and it was the national competition for an urban design of an old Renn horse track in Regensburg, which is an old medieval town. So we won it. And for three years, I was going to Germany for meetings with my German language, is not so good, but it was good enough that I could communicate.
0: But you probably could communicate through English. Most of the and Germans my job, did that pretty my well. was not perfect,
1: but uh, it was interesting. Yeah. And it was supposed to be built over 10 years. Then the Berlin Wall went down and it got built in three years. So things happen. Wow. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, I met Peter Kirk, who designed from the Archigram, who designed the walking cities. And he said, you should come and study with me in Frankfurt. And I have 20 students. I handpicked from all over the world, all different personalities and different characters. And he just liked the psychological aspect of putting 20 people from all over the world together and see what they can come up with.
0: What a fabulous experience. Though. <laughs> it like was where... amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because I went from, I think my architecture at that time was a little bit more neoclassical <laughs> and it totally changed. So I did all these very avant-garde structural experiments and it was just fascinating. It was so great to break out of that skin. Of the cousin. Yeah.
0: Yeah, just really... to just to push your thinking or or in fact have them push your thinking, the environment pushing your thinking. Yeah.
1: And that was how I really got to love being a professor, because I saw how a professor can really influence your thinking in in your direction. And I got the opportunity to at the same time be a guest professor in Copenhagen. So I would take the train every other weekend and be a oh. professor for a couple of days and go back and be a student. That was really fascinating.
0: Do you know, it's the most fascinating thing with that, that I find with it is, is this design thinking and how a world that, you know, humans are shaped, that humans shape it, is all based on design thinking. And so we take what nature's already created and we either ruin it or we enhance it and in any which way we're ruining it from what it was. We're changing it from what it was, but the responsibility of enhancing it and doing that with the best thinking that you can apply to it, I think is just a, a wonderful journey. And you are saying like, you know, in, in there, that shifted you for, say from neoclassical to avant-garde and I would often have when I worked in the fashion industry. I'd get you know young designers who would come in, and I would give them—I don't know—anything. I'd just look around my yeah. I'd just look around my desk or around the studio, and I might go, "Oh, you know," and I'd pick up a calculator and I'd say, "So I want you know, three garments, and I want shoes, bag, hat." there's the inspiration and if it looks anything like a calculator you'll know you've got it wrong
2: yeah
0: off you go (laughs) 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 and they would just look at me in horror and I would say (laughs) you want more direction and they go yeah and I'd go okay make it evening wear (laughs) so that would be my more direction (laughs) and then just leave them to really I suppose in a way struggle and and I know lots of architects that say studio is extremely hard because the boundaries are left open. And I go, that is where you really come into your own
1: mm-hmm. is
0: when the boundaries are left open enough that you have to interpret and interpret, and interpret. And what you were saying, you know, with what you did with Peter Kirk is of that style. It's like, you you know it it's the boundaries are open, so away you go, yeah,
1: exactly. and he
0: creates the environment where there's lots of other people pushing as well,
1: love competition, and he would yeah. just stare at you and say, "Oh my God, is that you know you can take it way, way further, and this is like that intrigue of the person and the way they think, and how do you get their minds to explode so you go yeah. way, way yeah long and i used that later on when i became a professor it was just like it was so fascinating to work with the students and see how far can you take them without them really you know with, not... without
0: them yeah without them realizing how far you're allowing them to go exactly, yeah exactly yeah and
1: without saying okay i want it to look like this mm. but just mm. you know it has to be their own mind that explores it but you can guide them of course it's a journey that can be guided
0: yeah and i think that's the beauty of it and then you can also relate that to when you work with clients because with clients mm-hmm. i certainly know this from the clothing trade was where i first really understood it was i would have to do a presentation to you know a whole bunch of people and they would be in the firm and um so i would deliberately stretch them to somewhere they'd be totally uncomfortable (laughs) like take them down a journey of something that we were never going to sell that was never going to be possible but I wanted to to I suppose just stretch them and stretch them and stretch them till they would be like yeah I, I don't get what's happening here and then relax them back to a point that was 30 points beyond where we would have started if we just started <laughs> normally. Like so and then they would relax back to that and I'd go, because this isn't going to be available for over a year. And so we're going to be putting this into the market in a year for sale, really for its season, which might be 18 months away. So we need to be, we need to be pulling forward. We need, we need to, to be, be
1: flexible too yeah. and be able to do have a big vocabulary and a big yeah. bandwidth. Yeah. and dare to do it so it's always do you dare to walk out in that thin <laughs> eyes not knowing when it's going to break and
0: <laughs> I think that's it isn't it but then architecture has that same thing except you can't just chuck it in the closet or give it to your friend you know yeah. like, like it stands there and you stares can but... <laughs> it stands there and stares back at you
1: working <laughs> with clients is fascinating too, because you have to take them on a mental journey too because they might have a perception of wanting mm. a French chateau but once you start them on a journey you can you're not manipulating but you're guiding the yeah well
0: you're opening journey. opportunities and and like I know you like you say the word manipulating and everybody thinks it. You know, oh, well, God, that sounds like such a terrible word. But what you are is you, you are manipulating the environment towards an outcome, but with enough width and flexibility that there's, you know, it's broad enough that they can bang from side to side in there and you can run with them. So you're giving boundaries and you're going, you know, that just like they're giving you boundaries, you know, they have Not, budgets. They it's have... really
1: giving them the flexibility or expanding.
0: Yeah. Taking the them into the design the
1: possibilities. journey. Possibilities are unlimited. There's mm. any way. But it's always a fascinating dialogue because you have to listen to the client. And I just yeah. love the interaction between clients and and their project and seeing if you can get them really excited about something they never thought would be possible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. had a fascinating good- talk with um Morris Edgemey from Morris Edgemey Architects in New York City he does buildings in New York and the same sort of things in that talk where it's this movement of what's possible with the regulations with the whatever with everything that's going to happen what's possible and then how do you play towards the impossible with it um and then you get some uniqueness and you create something that Uh, is fit for purpose and is an emotional journey for the people who interact with it. Mm. So tell me, how did you go from Africa to Denmark to America? (laughs) (laughs) How did that happen?
1: It was a possibility that opened up because I felt that after coming back from Africa, I, I Didn't quite fit in anymore. And I felt the restrictions of building codes in Denmark were very limiting of what you could do at that time. Compared to Africa. (laughs) (laughs) No, you could only have 10% windows and you had to, building codes would say you have to have a 30 degree tile roof and yellow brick. So yeah, right. there are not a lot of opportunities to be flexible. Fortunately, it's changed so much, and big is one of the great examples oh, yes. of how yeah. you know, architecture has totally changed since I left. But I felt if I go to Los Angeles, I can design anything. So I was lucky, or I did my thesis at CIRC, and yeah. then I worked with Frank Gehrin because I was fascinating by, fascinated by his architecture and this, you know, unconventional way of exploring spaces
0: yeah that would have been an experience in itself working with frank Gehry's yes it definitely was <laughs> <laughs> but then I know. after
1: a while i felt like you know he's he's a master and when you work with a master you have to wait until the master has time to work on your project and you can't just take it and <laughs> with it. just run Did out you? the door yeah, at that time So when I had the opportunity to become a professor, I said, you know, this is just, I think, more where I can really make an impact on other people.
0: Beautiful. And then
1: one day I had designed, you know, city halls and museums. And I said, gee, And I came to Las Vegas and I walked around the casinos and said, wow, I could design any dream in this uh, as a casino because the you know, you create experiences, and they all have to be completely different. And you can spend money, and you can, you know, use amazing lighting, amazing technology to create experiences. So that's how I got. A few months later, if, if you dare to dream it, it, it will happen.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> think that's good. yeah, that that's really amazing. Like it, it's almost like I think of Las Vegas as being a playground of as a place but then also each casino and hotel and stuff like that like you said they all have very definite brand personalities
1: I oh, yes and it's highly competitive so you have to lure people in and ideally get them to spend as much time as possible so designing every restaurant every single venue is just a whole different experience has its own story Within this narrative to keep people there. I mean, it's very basic psychology. That's but right. you, give, you give them no reason to have to leave because you give them so many different experiences and memories.
0: And one so space. That's I
1: got.
0: So I've got this question with that because I know often when I go into like hotels, especially casinos and stuff, it, we expect the floors to be laid out you know, the, the, the accommodation floors to be laid out in a certain way or whatever. And generally it is. And then the public spaces and the fact that you do have all these personalities and you do have all these things that are happening there. I often go in and I go, how do you even start? Where, what? What? Where, tell me, how do you even start? Because the scale of it's like a it's like a very, very, very big elephant that you're gonna have to eat. And <laughs> I know there's regulations and all those things, but how do you start in the design journey on that bigger scale?
1: I love that because it's like in the master planning, that's where you really start creating. You start saying, Okay, it's it's a lot like retail design, because you have something that grabs people's attention and kind of indirectly. Takes you on a journey through the spaces. So that's what, when you start the master planning of the casinos and laying out where all the different venues, it's almost like a city. You have to have certain uh, excitements. You have to have some plazas where people can gather. You have to have all these special events, and every one of them is an experience in itself. So that was what made me totally fascinated by it. So it's not like creating they always say it's like creating the perfect mouse trap but it's really not what it is because it's much more than gambling it's really about all the experiences everything you see is custom designed you design these 80 foot long custom chandeliers and i mean there's no limit to what you can do there's always budgets but
0: yeah but they're (laughs) usually large as well Yeah, because they (laughs) they they recognize that the success is having people in there yeah yeah
1: but it also it's a very short designed time frame because oh. it's important it gets built as quickly as possible because they lose money every month it's not open so <laughs> it's,
0: so do they ever stage the openings in that way do they ever build a part or do they just go all in get it done fast as possible and then they open get,
1: it they have to get it all done and they have to run it just like any hotel opening is i got more fascinated with the luxury end of hotels after that, but it's all about having the whole service training, the whole structure behind has to be perfect because mm. if it's not working when the first guests step in, then you get a bad review and you can... that can
0: that can dog you for that's, years. That's hard
1: to exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: So. How fascinating! I, as I say, like I often go into those spaces and I go, wow. And I start looking at the amount of detailing there is like, just like you said, you know, like using an 80 foot chandelier as the example, (laughs) the amount of detailing that is put into them and everything like it should be is designed, whether it be the carpet, whether it be, and then there's the level of specification and layers underneath each of those things for noise control, for fire control. for Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like,
1: but working with lighting consultants is always fascinating because a lot of the best lighting designers have a theatrical um, mm-hmm. experience or background. So it's really about creating all the aspects and how it how the space can transform like a chameleon from day to night and um, whatever yeah. mood people are into. So it's. Uh,
0: and when they when you're doing, a, say, a casino. Is there I mean there'd be I wanna say rules, I don't mean rules like hard and fast rules, but there's ways of of you bring people in and then revealing different things to them at different times that put them in the mousetrap, that put them into <laughs> the into the spending part of what they're going to do. You, know, like well, I... you have
1: to give people an experience so they are happy opening up their wallets. If they really feel they get value for it, they're happy to let go of their money. Right.
0: <laughs> I th- I'm, often... not
1: ga- I'm not a gambler. <laughs> I would never have spent my money gambling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but creating an experience for people, I often think last time I was in Las Vegas, which wasn't too many years ago, a couple of years back, I went out for a little bit of a walk and I'd got there in the early evening and I went, I'd stayed previously at the Bellagio for a friend's wedding many years before. And I went, mm-hmm. I'm just going to pop over to the Bellagio and, you know, all the Venetian glass all through that ceiling and stuff. And I, when I went for the wedding, I was probably far more attuned to just having a great time and enjoying the whole ambience of it. When I went for the, when I was there, last time I went for a look from the point of view of design and yeah I spent quite a bit of time in there you know probably a few hours as the evening came on and I went and did watch the you know the um, fountains and stuff as well but in that first part of it just experiencing it and feeling the emotional shifts of what it did, but I didn't actually I'm not a gambler either, but I didn't actually realize that of course you were selling me experience the, me the experience putting me in a happy space so I'd be happy to give money away or, or at least risk it. Yeah. Or
1: you go to a restaurant and you get you spend yeah. a lot of money in there because casinos today make more money on the restaurants than they do on, on,
0: on the, the floor. gambling. Right, than on the floor. Wow. So again, that, that makes the difference between the value of the restaurant has to be huge. Yes. Definitely. So in in learning all about, you know, my my analogy of it's so big and how you do you eat the elephant, who guided you through it to start with? Like who who sort of showed you this is the way it works in the business sense?
1: Usually it was clients. Yeah. And I, I had studied retail design uh-huh. and been fascinated. I gave some lectures about retail design. I never really did a retail space per se, but I, it's about the psychology of the space mm-hmm. and the visual enchantments and the, the sequences of spaces. So yes. that's how I, so I got, you know, I, I, nobody taught me how to do it, but I analyzed it and I, just got fascinated by creating choreographing choreographing a space is what I've been fascinated with for so many years. And to me, it's really like a, almost like a video. You make a movie where every space guides you and creates different experiences that you may, or you may not notice, but some volumes are very tall. Some are very low and more dark and cozy where Others open up with daylight. So it's it's all about creating a storyline, basically, or Mm -hmm. storyboarding every space. But then when you put it into planning, it's different because you have to translate your visual, your choreography mind into where do they actually get located and how do they interact with each other in plan. I think if you're a visionary and you visualize it, as a movie you're already creating the visual spaces or the foundations for all the renderings and the real spaces to come so
0: right I love that I love that (laughs) (laughs) I love the fact that a you are taking people on a when you say a movie, you know there's a there's a brand attached to it, so it's just like a movie. It's going to be a romance, or it's going to be a thriller, mm-hmm. or it's going to be whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's already got a category or a genre. And then from that genre, then it's like, what is its story? And then that's the brand. What's that brand story behind it? And then what is the
1: character here? Is this the main? <laughs>
0: Is this the lady, is this the one The lady, <laughs>
1: the drama queen, or is this the villain? And, and, you know, how do all these characters interact with each other? And will people notice it when they're going from space to space? Maybe not fully as much, because you don't have the movie, or you don't have yeah. the sound and you don't have the drama. That's yeah. it, it, well, it's not direct directed, not... but I think you, you can still certainly create the impact by... Working with it, a
0: hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's
1: not just functional planning, but it's actually three D functional.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I I love it. Like you know, in the in the residential sort of space, I I work on you know single family homes generally. That's ninety nine percent of what we do, and some uh, some offices and stuff. But when single family homes, we're trying to create a chapter in their book of their life and that might be multiple chapters or it might be one chapter you know depending on the time and the intent of the property and we look for the ones where it's going to be multiple chapters you know sort of like legacy chapters and and what will be developed from this home in this space and then what's their story they bring into it and then how does the architecture respond to the emotions that they need to nurture them in their home space and et etc cetera, et cetera, that kind of thing and i when you're doing it with this i it takes me to that thing of when we go to a beautiful hotel or we go to a, a casino is a great example or we go to a restaurant is this journey that we tra we transition some point we transition into this journey and the journey delights us in a whole lot of different ways and it questions us and we see things that we don't know but we want to understand and that's just from the environmental journey and then there's a service journey and then there's something then there's like,
1: the memories later on that creates a slightly edited dr- uh, memory or experience yeah,
0: yeah. and Again, the other people come
1: back three times and have a different experience like when you watch a movie you come back and you get a different element
0: yeah. didn't notice yeah. before so yes you get that depth you get to peel back the layers and see more what than what it is you were telling me before about designing some indigo hotels yes. and you were saying about doing one in phuket and i'd love you to tell that story of <laughs> just the texture and the environment that an indigo hotel's story of how they what they desire So go for yeah, it. Tell me.
1: Is, a, is a wonderful brand because one of the requirements is that you create a neighborhood story so every aspect of the hotel has to somehow relate to a neighborhood or create, be a translated experience not a literal but very translated so Phuket Patong in Phuket is a fantastic city it has <laughs> Tropical forest like banana plantations before you drive into Patong. Then it has Mutai boxing, transvestites, there are sea gypsies, and uh, the ocean, of course. And that's a totally different experience in daytime and nighttime. And how do you translate that experience into a hotel? It was really fascinating. So we took the Mutai boxing into the guest room where every element of the guest room was designed to be inspired by multi-boxing. So they're like huh. tattoo inspirations and gloves and you know, every element was just, I think, very fun and playfully done. Yeah. And we designed another guest room that was inspired by the uh, uh, sea gypsies that lived on, you know, planks that are tied together on, on the ocean, huh. very different experience. And the whole lobby was inspired by that crazy neighborhood story where the tropical merges were the flamboyant, yeah. And, and the restaurant we call it the old the neighborhood cafe became inspired by the banana plantations and bamboo structures, and it was just really fantastic. So that's super I love brands that really want to, us to be challenged to create that new character or a different story. That's really a visual.
0: Yeah, because if that same hotel was in, say, Cologne or somewhere,
1: it would be different <laughs> it would be
0: so different, like so yeah,
1: totally different,
0: yeah, and yet you know that if you knew the brand from one place, you know that the experience would be great in another place, yes,
1: because but you it... know you <laughs> learn something new about the place, so I think it it really distills an experience,
0: yeah. That's fabulous. It, it
1: translates an experience and you just never see the same hotel anywhere with that brand.
0: Yeah. yeah. A lot of
1: other brands are getting into that. So a lot of sub brands that are not every branded hotel, every hotel brand now has like 30 different subcategories. So there are a lot of different brands that allow more of the local storytelling.
0: Right. It's fascinating. And <laughs> yeah I think it adds so much value it's kind of like also like with Airbnb spaces you know we were saying before they're selling experiences accommodation is why you have the experience mm-hmm. and when you're selling those experiences you're engaging people in their emotions into a town or a mm-hmm. countryside Absolutely. or whatever it is and it becomes magical and your moments are made inside the, the structures as well as yes. outside of them. Mm. And that
1: was actually Airbnb that changed a lot of hotel sub brands now because they realized Airbnb creates these special stories yeah. and, neighbor, and neighborhood experiences. And we need to compete with Airbnb. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> How fabulous. Isn't that great? You know, like yeah, that, that it becomes that way. Like, Yeah, because when, like I travel, I often stay with friends. That's because I get to spend time with them. But otherwise hotels, if I'm staying in a hotel, I'm pretty purposeful about what I'm looking for from the hotel. It could just be accommodation, but it could be more experiential as well. And then Airbnbs fit into that category as well, where if I'm going to be there for, say, three or four days, I might go, oh, it is worth getting an Airbnb if I can find something that whoever I'm traveling with will also enjoy the experience. So recently we were in Tucson, Arizona, and I was with two friends of mine who are architects and we'd gone to visit some other architects in Tucson and we found an old bakery that um, had been converted in old town and the old part of Tucson. And, It was just a wonderful, wonderful space. I could have easily stayed in it for a week and it was walking distance to all these things and it had some internalized rooms that just had sort of like light vents through the ceiling. And it was, yeah, it was Adobe style on the outside and it was just a really special, special space. And you go, it left me with, all of Tucson did, left me with this thing of, wow, what an experience to be there. And then I was talking to my friends from Dust Architecture and they were saying, yeah, well, it did just get written up in the New York Times. So the romance and the gentrification about to go ballistic because of that, which it already has a, a certain level of gentrification yeah. but the the fact that it's still mixed with what hasn't been gentrified is what makes it so magical now right. yeah, yeah. Mm. and
1: that's you know where boutique hotels for example is where you can experiment more because you have a less amount of rooms and people choose boutique hotels because they want a more special experiences so yeah. every room doesn't have to be the same it's like the it's You come with a different expectation. And I've designed boutique hotels. There were only seven rooms. I would say probably the best size is about 25 to 28 rooms because that's where what um cleaning (laughs) staff can can two staff members can clean in one day. So there is some logic to maintenance and housekeeping, but I've designed two hotels. There were two thousand rooms, so wow, that's wow, that hotel. And well, um, when you
0: think that's potentially, you know, four thousand people staying or more, it's more. Yeah, it's
1: sometimes it's... if they have kids, so yeah, you're like, you have.
0: You could have yeah. six thousand people in the hotel. It
1: was, it was for kids and, or it was more like an entertainment resort. It's so a little bit like a, a Disneyland mm-hmm. <laughs> experience. Mm-hmm. So every single, th- the lobby would have like 5,000 people at checkout time or check-in wow. time. Wow. And then at nighttime, it would be totally quiet. So It's amazing. Wow. But the director from the owner was, I want every space design, every, the floor, walls, ceilings, everything has to be themed to be nautical or oceanic inspired. And it was like, oh, it's hard when it's so big.
0: And yeah. they're like, you know, and not to be just totally repetitive,
1: yeah. I can't, you know, every like space it can't every different.
0: yeah, yeah. This <laughs> you is have fantastic.
1: St- so we created a narrative, an overall overarching narrative, and then sub narratives for every space,
0: yeah. Wow, just that <sighs> alone. I love it, I love it.
1: It is exhausting, so it's like
0: it blows my mind. It
1: took five years to get built,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and just also to line up all the contractors that can do the different things that are required. You think of just making carpets or just making flooring and those kinds of things.
1: Well, every carpet has to be custom designed Mm -hmm. too to be part of the story. And Mm -hmm. uh, you work with sculptors, so you cannot communicate with, but Uh you do a lot of facial gestures to explain what you want. And it's just, it's pretty fascinating. A fabulous journey. It's when you come back and you see, how every detail got done the way I imagined it that is amazing it doesn't oh matter,
0: yeah no. yeah I can imagine <laughs> I can imagine I mean it doesn't happen all the time I'm sure but the, when it does happen the magic is just mind-blowing mind-blowing so I've got some I've got some final questions for you one is, is I, I'd usually do this in your own home but I'm going to take it out of your own home if you had one space that makes you, that is the best emotional space that you you like to go to, or yeah, that you've experienced, because you've got so many experiences, but it's got to be a built space. It's got to be a built structure. What is it and what emotion is it that it invokes for you? <laughs>
1: Uh, if it's a boat space I can't help thinking about the grandeur of the stairs that lead from one volume to the other so I like tall spaces, I like volumes yeah. Yeah. I love the drama, especially of stairs uh-huh. so there has to be some really fascinating stairs going in there and so it would probably be a hmm good question
0: (laughs) (laughs) if it's the grandeur of the stairs and that space that it creates what is the emotion that that brings to you when you when you experience it yourself like when you go to somewhere and it's got those that amazing staircase what happens for you
1: to me it's a transition between one space and the other so between one level and the other and it's it's like a transformation you go through yourself just by moving up these fabulous stairs and it just you feel like you transcend one reality and you move into the next reality
0: Mm. Mm. (laughs) I like that so it journeys you I'm fascinated by the emotions that spaces create and you know that uh, when you said the grand staircase I can see sweeping ones and I can see you know ones that are like more angular and I can see all these different things and you know we've been talking movies and one of the oceans movies came to my mind when they're coming down one of those big staircases um all in there you know they're about to Oceans might have been eleven or something like. I can't remember which one it uh-huh. was, yeah. but one of those comes to mind with those characters coming down the staircase, and the amount of drama that that creates. And then I think when I go to things like I'll go to say an opera or something, and opera houses often have these amazing big transitional staircases, like you say. It's you transition from this lobby with all its energy, and then you disperse. And you go and find your more intimate space, you know, and it's going to go dark and then there's going to be a performance. Exactly. It, exactly. It but it's it. also
1: the people viewing because mm-hmm. you, people are either spectators or you are the actor when you're actually doing the transition. So mm-hmm. I think most people get quite conscious about it. And that's really such a fantastic design element. It can be just done in hundreds of different ways and could be so theatrical and so transformative. So
0: That's it's amazing. It's
1: hard for me to pick one space. I just uh, yeah,
0: it. no, I get that. <laughs> That's why I went, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll let it go outside of that. That's fine. <laughs> um, but I will ask you one of my others. Well, I, I have another one, which I, I I don't want to ask, but I want to discuss, which is like, you know, what would you tell your younger self? And, I can't imagine what you could have told your younger self because at 28, you said, well, it's time for change. What am I doing next? And then I look at the list of the number of times you've had that discussion with yourself in your life and gone moving on. There we go. Um, (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I don't think your younger self would have taken any notice because it would have only been changing the speech you did it at. Or you would have said, just stick to one thing. But that's not you. <laughs> <One> <laughs> I, thing don't is like, I don't like
1: planning my life step by step. I think it's really the opportunities that show up. There's snowmen that suddenly blocks away and you say, like, okay, i got to take a metaphor in the road. And which, which direction do I take? It uh, doesn't really matter. It, it will be a different direction and a different opportunity. I mean, so, if,
0: if you think that I, your part with that, what you were just saying, the word that comes to me is courage and being brave and being confident when you're totally not necessarily going to be confident because you're stepping into something new. It's but scary. Being, yeah, but Definitely. that self belief. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And,
1: but that's a good part. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like. Get stepping out of your comfort zone, yeah, it can be really frightening and scary. I went from being well known in Denmark to Los Angeles where nobody know me exactly. knew me that time. Yeah. it was I realized ooh, <laughs> I yes was, how, why did I pick that change?
0: I always think of you know people talk about their comfort zones and people like yourself. your comfort zone is it's, it's huge, like I can't put my hands on the screen big enough, but your <laughs> comfort zone is massive because of the number of experiences you've put yourself into and the number of things you've challenged yourself with and overcome where some people, you may only, I remember when I first ever was in travel, really, I was in Dallas, Texas, and I was talking to this person in Dallas and I said something about, I'd just been in Los Angeles and they told me they'd never left Texas, let alone they'd never really left the Dallas area. And they (laughs) were like in their thirties. And I'm wow. like and they were applauding me because I'd come all the way from New Zealand. And they they'd never seen the sea. I remember that. They'd never seen the sea. And like, I mean, there's Corpus Christi and there's, you know, wow. just down on the coast there. Wow. And I was I was totally shocked by it. But you mm-hmm. think of the difference in comfort zone of experience. Yeah. And and like yours is like massive and at each one of them that had, <laughs> yes but what we do as people is as we put ourselves in the position a to expand it but b we grow with it and in that well yes we get a bigger comfort zone but we put ourselves into a challenge that we have to master while we're going through these things not just traveling and seeing something or whatever else we end up in this position where we go oh actually I've got to make the rubber meet the road here and somebody's relying on it (laughs) (laughs) that I really applaud I think that's just brilliant so I am going to ask you the question that I said to you before we started um, so you have had a chance to think about it but one last Mm -hmm. project what would you choose? You can't do anything else after it. And you cannot give me Tom Kindig's answer, which is I'd start a project I would never finish in my lifetime. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was the trickiest answer I've ever had. But what would you choose? If you if you only had one left to do, what would you want it to be as your, maybe not your legacy project, just one that you would love to do?
1: As the very last one. Huh? mm mm-hmm. Oh. tomorrow
0: when you finish doing those schematics it's done
1: <laughs> it <laughs> you can't
0: to, do architecture ever again
1: it would have to be a nomadic a nomadic hotel where you can just move it from one place to oh, the other okay. one location <laughs> to the other. So it could be in the tropical forest you can take it out in the desert you can move it out to the ocean on the platform so you could drift from place to place but i i really love the ideas of structures that are portable so you can actually move experiences and they will transform without especially touching or damaging the landscape that's i think the beauty in the what they now call the outdoor hotel uh, camp it's very sustainable it's very um, transformative Oh, and I could yeah. see that would just never be ending.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a cunning answer after all. I love it, though. It's a good question, that.
1: but it's it's a tough one.
0: It, it is one of those tough questions, because why would you ever want to stop? You know, like I, I look at Glenn Murkett here in Australia and Glenn's in his 80s. And, you know, I think he takes one project a year and he's still got five of them booked up. To do, and he still teaches every year and does all these things, yeah, and he will one day probably fall asleep at his table, and that will be the end of him um
1: you gotta have time to travel in between those, so sure,
0: but that's what it is he he i mean <laughs> yeah. he does do all that, he'll go and lecture or go and do whatever and but his life is full of these amazing experiences and he he will never remove himself from his from being an architect I mean from creating for others and making these things that will never
1: I think that's you as well once you have the creative or even as an architect you are trained to be able to problem solve anything
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and that means it it's just can be Continually a fascinating journey; it just never stops. I think I'll be ninety-five and I'll still be working.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you will as <laughs> well. I'm it. the same. I'm the same. Van like...
1: is ninety-three; still has a hundred people in his office. And
0: mm-hmm. you've got right. to hand it to a mate. Yeah, eh? yeah. I, people say to me, "When are you going to retire?" I said, "From what? Exactly. <laughs> what do you mean retire? You know, I don't have. I'm like you. It's like." why would you stop doing something that is so much there's so much joy in it and creating spaces and you know unlike fashion where in fashion you can do fast cycles you can do yes. you know you can learn a lot very quickly because you can cycle quickly in architecture you can't cycle as quickly it's too <laughs> complex it takes too yeah. much time for it to become to fruition and everything else and every project that you draw takes you one step further in your knowledge and you know that i remember years ago somebody saying to me oh it's a terrible business because there are no young there are no famous young architects and i was like yeah that's true why not and they said because it takes years to get the experience
1: and to get the project the same yeah the same no
0: yeah See, what a fabulous conversation and i can't wait to meet you in person i, want I to come can't up...
1: wait to meet you either <laughs> i want to an come and play <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah i will be in california either later this year or definitely early next year so i plan to come and play without a <laughs> doubt without a doubt because <laughs> there's so much that there's so much that i just I, I want more and more of your journey i want more and more to feel what it's about and Get your energy. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) What fun. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, If it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like, imagine if you had some hot ch- chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of someone and then they went to reach out and then you you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you, see if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.